0: Hi listeners and working triathletes, this is coach Derek Stone recording from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Today I want to give a shout out to one of our own working triathletes, Brian Piper, who works for Audio Technica, and they have an office up here in Ohio. And Brian gave me the pleasure of touring their office and their facility, which was a super cool experience. I got to learn a lot about the audio equipment that we use and... Um, Some of the tools they use when it comes to recording and things of that nature. Um, I went into a room that was completely soundproof. I mean, if you think you've ever been in complete silence before, you haven't until you've been in this room. It was beyond eerie, but it was an incredible experience. I got to sit in rooms and listen to some music with the best audio equipment around and the listening experience was incredible Um, so we've outfitted our coaching staff that's you know regulars on the podcast with some mics and headsets to give you guys the listeners and other working triathletes the best podcast experience that we can and as always thanks for tuning in and listening to us Uh, when you get a chance make sure you do subscribe and share this podcast with a fellow triathlete or any endurance athlete or anyone for that matter and and introduce them to the sport. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Working Triathlete Podcast. This is Coach Geringer, live from the Big Island in Kona. We are here with... um, a couple working triathlete coaches and athletes. Um, we have a few athletes competing at the Ironman World Championships this week. And uh, a number of us have actually been on the island for a few weeks, acclimating to the heat and uh, working remotely and, and enjoying Hawaii. Um, but today, we, we do want to discuss on this episode of Coaches and Coffee, uh, all of the coaches are on, sort of our impressions from from being here for a few weeks and watching all of the triathletes sort of descend upon the island will sort of give our impressions of the heat and humidity, what the the course is like, uh, what the swim is like, uh, and, and things like that. So, you know, so I'm obviously on this podcast, as is Derek Stone. Hey, guys. And... Alex Leandry, Hello, John Huber. Hello. <laughs> Derek Owens. Ooh, yeah. And I'm on the big island too. Yes. So Derek Owens is on the big island, as is Alex Geringer, our nutrition and recovery coach.
2: Hey, everybody.
1: So we have uh, a number of coaches on the podcast. So uh, half of us have been on the island for, I guess what? like three weeks almost. Um, but what, so Derek, you have ridden the course on, and we we've ridden on Alihi, we've ridden on the famed Queen K. I mean, what, what were your impressions of, of the bike course or just,
3: you know, the, the environment? Uh, I could probably sort that in a couple of ways, my initial impressions were that it was incredibly cool to be here i didn't realize how much how much it was going to feel like a pilgrimage to like be in kona and riding the course swimming the course uh all of that so um it was just incredible to be doing that from the very first time that we rode we we went for a ride like the first day that we were here However, the novelty wore off pretty quickly (laughs) and it is the riding that we're doing. It's one long straight road. There's nowhere else to ride. It's black asphalt surrounded by even darker colored lava rock. Uh, And so it just feels like you're cycling in a windy sauna that, yeah 85% humidity it's um pretty brutal so uh yeah the novelty wore off like a couple of days later I went and I've honestly been doing most of my riding on the trainer because of that uh but yeah it's it's cool but it's brutal out here for sure yeah it it definitely is
1: and that encapsulates it pretty darn well so we we landed in uh in hawaii on september 12th so we've done a lot of riding running and i did bring you know a trainer uh just for for convenience um but i think that one i've heard it before but one maybe somewhat surprising aspect of of the big island is the fact that there really aren't that many roads and to be honest the uh the cycling is not super great. I know Derek, you live in the, in the Bay Area and we I live in Middle Tennessee and it, there are a lot of options for for outdoor riding. And on the Big Island, you don't have really I would say you don't have any safe options whatsoever. Uh riding on the Queen K is not safe, <laughs> especially when when it's not the race because you're riding next to traffic. Uh it's it's a highway. And it's, it's definitely scenic at times, you know, you can turn left on the way out, you, you can see the ocean for a lot of the ride and the, the lava rocks are are really neat to see. Um, you know, w- once you do it a couple times, it, it, I keep referring to it as, as a hellscape. Zwift, Swift interviewed me just briefly at, at the, at the swim start yesterday. And, and they were like, one word, how would you describe, you know, Kona? And I said, hellscape because it is the conditions are brutal, which uh, that, that's part of the race, obviously. And, and Kona is notorious for it. But if you're coming to the island and you're expecting, you know, a nice training camp of enjoyable roads and beautiful scenery, I think you're going to be in for a wake up call because this this course is no joke. It's It's like being in a convection oven. Uh, it's, it's hot. There's no break from the sun. It's, we're in Hawaii, it's obviously closer to the equator than anywhere on the mainland. And that means you're closer to the sun. And that, that distance matters. Uh, (laughs) When you're out there, it's not only the ambient temperature is not only high, but the sun burns the skin. Yeah, it's, it's, I've been lathering on sunscreen for for weeks now. And still, I'm just, I'm essentially always a little bit sunburned, trying to be safe, but you can't really. Uh, it, it's tough to avoid sunburn
3: altogether another <laughs> thing we're mentioning about um about riding on the queen k2 i think is just lack of access to water refill spots like i did a long ride yesterday and some of our crew had like sag to give them additional water bottles i started late for logistical reasons and didn't have that and so there's really like one or two spots between where we parked and where I turned around that you could feasibly get water. Um, one of which took cash only and they like uh yeah I'm very grateful that they handed me a bottle of water that I didn't pay for. But yeah, it's it's tough to like get water out here too. And so it being as hot as it is, um like just having two bottles on the bike just wasn't really enough. So yeah, that's a a whole nother thing that it's different during the race when there are aid stations. But if you're coming out here just to ride by yourself, um, it, yeah, it can be pretty tough. And, uh, another thing that came to mind was right now compared to three weeks ago when we were riding and there were way fewer people on the course, it felt maybe a little bit more dangerous, uh, because there weren't motorists weren't just like always seeing cyclists and therefore paying attention and so if you were to come out at any other time of year it might feel a little even a little bit more scary um but i mean there are hundreds and hundreds of people riding the course at all times of the day it feels like right now and so uh it's cyclists are just much more present and that made me feel safer in this most recent ride that i did but yeah when we were first here it was just like Uh, a ghost town can you guys talk a little bit about the wind conditions out there
1: oh boy okay so uh, so the first time we rode on on the queen k it was extremely windy i would put it you know top five windiest rides that that i've been on in my life uh and then i rode up to to javi um a couple weeks ago i did the, the full course and on on the descent from javi i that was another ride that probably was in the top three windiest, uh, days that I've ever, you know, ridden. And then two days ago, uh, so, so Miguel Maddox, he arrived here, uh, late last week and we went on a ride and it was pretty insane. The, the, the wind was, I, I was, I did not feel safe, honestly. And on the descent, uh, just sort of, one of the descents out of town, probably, I don't know, 10 miles, just north of the airport. Uh, you know, we were going down a hill and, you know, the issue is there are strong gusts, crosswinds, and there are tractor trailers whizzing by. And when tractor trailers whizz by, you, you get a very, very strong gust and you just have to deal with it and you have to be vigilant. But, you know, I was riding probably a hundred yards behind Miguel. He was doing some intervals. I was doing some Ironman pace work and he, uh, a tractor trailer went by and it, it actually knocked him over. So, you know, he was just, he was actually in the, in the, uh, he, he was sitting up and he wasn't even an arrow and he just flew right over and he crashed going 30 miles an hour. And there was literally nothing he could do. It was just the timing of the tractor trailer and the crosswinds. It, it just, it blew him over. It's just literally, he said that it felt like somebody just pushed him over. So the winds are no joke and the winds plus cars, you know, large box trucks, things like that. They uh, are legitimately dangerous. And if you're a light rider, right, riding, you know, a deep wheel set and you're not aware of the the cars especially the larger ones coming up you could definitely get get blown over so the bike course is it's an angry bike course you know it, it, i like it i like the difficulty of it 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 is beautiful in its own way i would say it's not traditionally beautiful but you know you have these big black lava fields you have you know this big it's almost like a post apocalyptic vibe, uh, sort of like a Mad Max vibe in, in a lot of the areas, um, <laughs> you you literally have these black lava fields. Okay. And there are these black goats that live in these lava fields. And when I think of like medieval paintings, a lot of times like demons, I love the goats, they're cute and adorable. But in <laughs> in, a, in a lot of the medieval paintings, you know, demons often have horns and these goats have horns. So you're riding in this I've been calling it a hellscape. It's, you know, it's 85 degrees. Okay. That's not like that hot, but the sun is just burning you the whole time. And then you have these black goats coming out of these black lava fields. And it's, it's an interesting, it can play with your mind. I think if you, if you bonk out on the ride and you don't sort of just embrace the suck. Um, But it, it's a great challenge. And in that way, I think it's, it's a great place to have a, a you know, a world championship, but, on the flip side, you know, only a specific type of athlete can excel at Kona. And, and that's, that becomes more clear that the more time you spend here and spend training on the course.
3: But I can honestly, uh, yeah. Like share just about that, like specific kind of athlete and just like the amount of time that I feel like it takes to really get uh like acclimatized to this weather. Me coming from the Bay area where, Uh, the temperatures are almost always temperate, you know, like highs in the seventies, lows in the high fifties, like year round, essentially, um, coming out here has been, um, just like a huge awakening in terms of like how my body handles heat and humidity differently. I raced 70.3 Chattanooga It was really hot. And that was, um, just one of the more recent experiences of having to adjust uh paces due to heart rate but out here like i'm consistently doing um like 10 percent fewer watts on the bike and my heart rate is still um like higher than what it would be at particular efforts um and so yeah i i can imagine that there are lots of athletes who arrive here the week of the race and have particular targets in mind and uh, when they like just have a power target that they're planning on hitting on the bike and they, and they do that and just uh, like have an elevated heart rate for five, six hours uh, and then get off the bike and have a pace in mind that they want to run. It's, it's no wonder that people uh, walk the back half of this marathon um, because yeah, I, uh, and when I ran for the first time, like it, I, Conrad Conrad had a huge bonking experience like early on yeah. uh, the first couple of days. And I did as well. Like I had mile seven. And it was just like, okay, I'm just going to walk back. Um, there's, there's nothing more that I can do. So, um, yeah, the, the conditions are, are definitely brutal. And I, I think that it just brings up or it, it accentuates the fact that you have to adjust for conditions like these. So obviously this
0: race has a lot of history. And Ironman tried to add a different, you know, location for a world championship in St. George. But knowing what you guys know now and saying that it suits like a certain type of athlete, do you think it's fair to keep this like a world championship or do you think it should rotate year after year? That is the million dollar question. (laughs) Uh, You know, I could say that
1: I'm excited to race on Saturday. Uh, However, it's... It's definitely a course that I don't think I'm going to yearn to come back to. Um, I think that it's, it's truly brutal (laughs) and in a way that's awesome, but in a way it's so Derek brought up this, this concept of it being a pilgrimage and it, it, there's definitely that, that aspect that is important and everybody thinks of Kona as this, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but everybody thinks about Kona as this, as sort of inextricable with the Iron Man brand. And it is definitely the case that history matters and what we we instill meaning into different things and, and things have symbolism and symbolism actually matters because it's like, we value something because of symbolism behind it whether it's you know an expensive luxury watch or whatever it's it's like it's just a piece of matter and this is just a location and there are many other locations that could serve as a great venue and a great world championships but uh you know so that that aspect this idea that Kona symbolizes more than just the world championships I think it's you know it's valid however you know this this island can't really withstand, you know, much more than I think it's standing right now. So there are a lot of triathletes here. The island is not that large, uh, and it is objectively not a great course. I think the swim is awesome, but I think the bike and the run are actually pretty darn. I don't want to say terrible, but just not very scenic. Uh, I think that it would be valid to sort of rotate it around. Maybe come back to Kona every three years or so. Um, but you, I don't think you can. I don't think we should undervalue sort of what Kona stands for in and what it means to our sport. And also what it would, I think a lot of athletes are motivated and, and they enjoy the idea of Kona sort of being the main event each year. Um, And, and these conditions that we've been talking about, uh, I think that that's sort of part of the lore. And I don't think we should trivialize that, but I would support a rotating probably world championships because the conditions are so unique and suit a specific type of athlete. One who is probably has higher surface area, probably a little bit smaller
3: and one who excels in the heat. I I agree with Conrad that I think that rotating world championships would be a cool thing. It would also build hype around like the Kona years when like particular races are, are, qualifying for the Kona world championships versus the other rotating ones or something. I think that that would be really cool just to like respond maybe to a different question. That is I, in a pot, in one of these podcasts maybe a month ago or a couple months ago, I said that I thought that I was going to come here and want to sign up for an Ironman to qualify for Ironman world championships and come and do this race. And I think that had I arrived today, and spectated the race on saturday i would have been like oh yeah i'm so excited to come to kona and race now i've been here for a while and uh well maybe i am excited for uh potentially qualifying for an ironman world championship the thought of coming here and racing (laughs) just it's terrible um so yeah everyone who is jealous of conrad racing saturday like just, just know that we are not jealous of him, and um, we're we're gonna have to be out there all day watching him race, and that's terrible enough. So, um, yeah, uh, and and also just empathizing with Alex, who recently spectated a a full Ironman race, and just how exhausting that's gonna be, or how exhausting that was. We're going to spectate two Ironman races in three days, Thursday, uh, the race on Thursday and then the race on Saturday. So, um, I, uh, I have started my, my fueling, um, now to ensure that I'm prepared to spectate two two like full days of racing in three days.
4: Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I mean, you guys are going to have a lot tougher conditions out there for cheering. I mean, honestly, Conrad, you could have picked a cooler race for them to come cheer you on for.
1: I would have liked that too. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now, so would you guys say you have acclimated by now or it's still just brutal?
3: Well, my my Garmin bike computer told me yesterday that I'm 25% acclimated. So if this is what 25% acclimated feels like, like I don't I don't know um how much more acclimated I'm going to get. Uh I was I was hoping that acclimated would just mean that i would go outside and it would feel like 70 degree like brisk weather but uh yeah it, it still feels brutal um but yeah to really answer the question my heart rate was like more uh close or just closer to what it would have been um on yesterday's ride compared to a ride that i did like three weeks ago uh but i i would say that i'm still not at a place where um where i feel fully acclimated no
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that I do feel acclimated. I don't think I've ever been more acclimated to the heat as right now. It took seven days. And I literally say seven days to the day because we arrived here on a Monday and I uh, I attempted to do a long run (laughs) on midweek at some point, but had to throw in the towel because the the heart rate just sort of started spiraling up at, uh, I was doing some Ironman pace intervals, just sort of looking how heart rate was relating to pace a little bit. And I have a very, very high sweat rate. And, uh, you know, about 70 minutes in, it was, uh, I started getting a little bit dizzy and it was, you know, factor in the travel and, and the stress of all that and stuff. I didn't feel super great at the beginning of the run, but, you know, it, it, I had a similar response when I did an Ironman in the heat before and just sort of got, got really dizzy on the verge of passing out. I I did. I certainly felt that and and saw the heart rate sort of decoupling from pace a little bit so i i decided to to bag that long run and then but every single other run and ride after that you know you feel a little bit better a little bit better and then seven days after we arrived i did a 17 mile run and felt felt good you know you have to obviously adjust your pace so and triangulate between you know rpe heart rate and 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 pace but you know, I would say probably 15 seconds slower than I would run for a typical Ironman pace. That, that's that, that's what I, I think my approach is going to be. You know, you have to go out a little bit easier, 15, 20 seconds per mile slower at the beginning, sort of feel it out, try to ward off becoming uh, overheated. But I was able to do the 17 miles and feel pretty darn good. And subsequent runs have... Have sort of mirrored that. And, and the science shows that it takes about seven to 10 days to adapt to the heat. Plasma volume increases, you know, core body temp at a given intensity at a, at a given temperature uh, does decrease, you know, sweat rate goes up, you start sweating sooner in, in a workout. And I'm definitely feeling all those things. And uh, so the body does adapt. That's the good thing. But I will say that if one wants to do this race well, I think it's absolutely essential to, to come beforehand, you know, at least seven to 10 days beforehand, get in some good training in the heat. And this goes for any Ironman at all, but the adaptation is, is real. And I can say with conviction that, you know, if we arrived three days before the race, four days, five days, even, uh, it, it would have been a completely different experience. Uh, I mean, we, we'll see how Saturday goes, but, you know, it, it, the heat and the sun, it, it's humbling. And and you have to, you can't just mindlessly adhere to your, you know, pre-ordained, the pace targets that, you know, the charts say you should hold. You know, you have to listen to your body. You have to respect the temperature. You have to respect how you respond to the temperatures and you have to adjust. Um, And the athletes who do that, they'll be able to run the last 13 miles of the marathon. And the athletes who don't, They're going to feel a lot of pain on the Queen K when they're running in the second half and in the energy lab
0: when they're they're running that marathon on Thursday and Saturday. So it's going to be a hot run and a hot bike. And I know you guys have been in the water and kind of already talked a little bit about seeing some marine life, but for all of you that are out there right now, can you guys talk a little bit about what the water is like out there? and? the experience swimming in there and what you guys have seen in the water?
1: Oh yeah. So, you know, we, we've been talking, I don't mean to describe Kona as like this negative location for a race or for anything. So the Island is beautiful. And I can say that, you know, that swim is one of the most beautiful swims I've, I have i think I've ever done. So we've been swimming in Kailua Bay and, uh, it's like swimming in an aquarium, you know, you're swimming and you see, uh, a lot of different life. So I saw a dolphin a couple of weeks ago, right at the 1.2 mile turnaround buoy, you know, I was swimming and, and it was funny because the, the day before there was a helicopter sort of flying off of the, off of the beach and like a mile or two away from Kailua Bay. And, uh, you know, it was kind of going down near the water and apparently it was trying to scare away a tiger shark. Uh, cause there are sharks out there. So you gotta, you gotta be, you know, somewhat careful. I think sharks generally don't, aren't super interested in people, but they're out there. So you always have that in the back of your, of, of your mind. But, uh, at the 1.2 mile turnaround buoy, I was swimming and, and I sort of heard just like this, uh, sort of high pitched, it sounded a little bit like a dolphin. And I was like, is that a dolphin? Or is that just like air escaping from my swim cap? Cause it didn't sound like exactly like a dolphin. But then you're just like, you look down and you could see the water's like pretty darn clear. And then there's just a dolphin just sitting down there, kind of like looking up. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a dolphin. And if I didn't hear it, I probably would have, it would have scared me because I would have thought it was, oh, maybe it's a shark. You just see something large in the water before you even process what it is, you know, your adrenaline pumps and, and the, the, uh, uh, you just, are mortified for like a split second, but you know, that was pretty cool. So we saw those, you know, we see eels, we see sea turtles, we see, uh, apuaa <laughs> which is the Hawaii state fish. Um, it's a trigger fish, but yeah, it's a what fish? amazing. It's a trigger fish, but that's the name. That's what it's called. It's, it's a crazy name, but, uh, I spent like two hours memorizing how to say it. Uh, and it's they're pretty awesome they're everywhere they're really colorful fish and you look down i mean you're swimming over coral reefs no matter where you hop in to the ocean and along the coast of hawaii it's it's a beautiful snorkeling experience um so the swim is is awesome it's magnificent uh it it can be choppy and there's a little bit of a current so you know if you're doing Kona, if you ever do Kona, when you swim out, you tend to swim a little bit faster going out than coming back. And every swim I've done, kind of experienced that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the swim course is is up there. I know, Derek, you and I did Nice a few years ago. That that was similarly beautiful, crystal clear. I would say that the swim here is every swim has been a little bit choppier than swimming in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, but conditions vary day to day. But yeah, the swim is the highlight. The swim is, is beautiful, you know, as is the island. Like we've been talking about the bike course and I've been sort of talking about how it's just desolate and and tough. And some people might interpret that as negative. Um, And, you know, I suppose it isn't the scenic, green, lush, traditionally beautiful, exciting course, but, you know, Hawaii is, is awesome. And the, the people that we've encountered have been amazing as well. So I'm talking about the locals. Everybody has been very, very nice. And uh, I hope that all the triathletes embarking upon the island <laughs> don't anger the locals and don't, you know, hopefully they're not obnoxious and they can respect, respect the land. But uh, so what, what about everybody else here who is on the island Right now, any thoughts about?
2: Yeah, I've only done uh, personally uh, one swim in Kona. So on the big island, uh, Conrad and I did do a little jet set over to Maui while we were here. Um, Derek and Chelsea actually also took advantage of just how proximal the other islands are. It's so inexpensive to do these little hopper jets. It's like 35 minutes and $35 to go from island to island, or at least that was our experience. And we booked very last minute. Um, and so most of the snorkeling I've done was actually in Maui, but the one day, um, that I did embark on snorkeling and I'm calling it snorkeling. It was like very helter-skelter thrown together with like, actually Alex Leandry swim goggles that I've still borrowed from her since I did have Iron Man Chattanooga with this like huge snorkel that I bought for like $6 at a local grocery store sort of like thrown together. Um, And it's amazing how just immediately when you step into the water, there's fish already. And so it's not as if you have to swim out to a certain point and then it like over time developmentally becomes more scenic. It's like you put your head down and there's bubbles from Finding Nemo just swimming past you. Um, And so that's been really cool. There are urchins for some of the like entry points into the water on top of the rocks, which I mean, uh, at the one beach that I went to, there was actually a local person there who was helping to guide people to safely get into the water, which I was very appreciative of. Uh, But for the most part, I mean, it feels super safe and and there are quite a lot of people that are actively swimming at the same time. Um, And then related to the swim, but one really fun thing that I loved about the Island was I think it was the first weekend that we were here and they have this monthly it's like a duathlon series or not duathlon because it's swim and run, but this little series that they do one weekend every single month. And it's sort of like oriented toward kids, but adults do it too. And it's in the Bay, like where the Ironman swim actually happens and they have everybody sort of line up. And there was, maybe a hundred people, like there were a lot of people there, maybe 35 to 50 kids. And they go out and they do a little swim and then they did a run just through um through Kailua, through that that downtown area there. Um, and so I banded the run, <laughs> Derek did the swim, Chelsea did both. And, um, and it was just really, it was really nice to see the locals embrace it and to see them really excited about it. Cause it was before most of the athletes sort of descended upon the Island and they do it with regularity every single month. So that was a cool way f- for me you know, my experience of like seeing how it's not just people that are triathletes that view Kona as this like triathlon emblematic place and that there is really a love for swimming and running and and biking to the side, though not pertinent for that particular race. And that, um, I don't know, it was something that was special for them and that they've tried to instill excitement for with like the kids here um, and dogs actually, too. There were some dogs on paddle boards going out with some of the people on the swim, which was awesome. I don't know, Derek, you've done more swims here than I have. Any other reflections or fun marine life you've stumbled upon?
3: Um, I guess no additional marine life than what Conrad and Alex already mentioned, uh, but I, I do quite a bit of open water swimming living in the Bay area. And I I've started to refer to it as like actual open water swimming for, for the most part, like small lakes, that's not open water. It's just larger. It's a larger enclosed space. Um, But yeah, swimming like in the San Francisco Bay or in the Pacific ocean in California is a very different experience than swimming here in, in Hawaii. Uh, But something that I really love about Swimming here is just the fact that what Alex was talking about, there are just consistent swims happening in the area. There are like permanent buoys that exist in Kailua Bay that are labeled half mile swim, one mile swim, uh like turnaround spots. And so a lot of the swimming that I do in the Bay Area, there's there's not really any buoys that you swim towards unless it's an organized swim. You just uh like kind of sight off of things off in the distance and so it's really cool to have uh, swim courses established and then uh, something I just really love about open water swimming really anywhere but that is particularly magnificent here is just the opportunity to be what when I'm not swimming I'll just like turn over on my back and just be in this really beautiful body of water and looking up towards the volcano here in Hawaii and then like turning over and like looking into the water and it's just crystal clear, like looking all the way to the bottom or not even being able to see the bottom, but just knowing that it's like, or knowing that I can see for, uh, like 20, 30, 40 feet, like the visibility is incredible. And so, uh, yeah, I just think that it's, it's a really almost spiritual experience to, to be in the water here. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it. We have had one encounter with a jellyfish. None of us that are here on this call, but um, Miguel's had uh, like... A few different unfortunate experiences um, on the on the course out here in in Hawaii, having only been here for a few days at this point. But yeah, so he did <laughs> he did fall he did fall on his bike as we already talked about, and he was stung by a jellyfish yesterday. And I um, think we
2: should clarify because he's not on this podcast right now. Like Miguel is okay; he's in good health. He <laughs> had a, a a ride that he was scheduled to do, and so he is making moves on the trainer outside for like a three hour bike ride, but he. <laughs> (laughs) doing fabulously he is fine um his absence should not be any indication of like uh, you know aggressively poor health and uh suffering from the elements over here yeah though he has had two yeah you know two for two here hopefully no more
3: i can i can from uh my vantage point right now i can look through Miguel on the trainer at the beautiful Pacific ocean. Yes. So yes, he is. He is alive and well,
4: don't <laughs> let him run. Don't, don't let him get in run injury.
3: I know. Trust me. That's an ax. We were talking about what could
1: happen on the run, but I, 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 let me just say that I've never seen a jellyfish sting like that. Like it was across his entire rib cage and like he got out of the water and I side. I was like, Oh my gosh. Are, are you okay? And this was just additional like lesions in the middle of his road rash from crashing his bike, you know, a couple, a couple of days ago. So it's just, he's, his welcome to the Island has been, uh, he's getting all of the negatives out of the way early. But, uh, you know, the, the good thing is we set up our trainer. We have an Airbnb sort of, we got, we're very fortunate. We have a great balcony that sort of overlooks the ocean. And I got to tell you, riding on the trainer here and looking out is, is probably the most scenic Vista that you could ask for, for a trainer ride. And uh, it's not like we're abandoning this beautiful, like the alternative is riding on the Queen K, (laughs) which is awesome, but you know, it's, it's a little dangerous and it's a little uh, desolate. So it's, it's not, it's still enjoyable riding on the trainer here outdoors. Um, But you know, one other thing I think we should talk about, there's been a lot of chatter about kona uh occurring this year and sort of the the load on the island the fact that there are two days of racing um thursday and saturday and obviously when you have thousands of people from out of town uh arriving in a location it disrupts things especially when (laughs) all the roads are closed in the area for two on two separate days um and you know there's a A lot of on the forums and in other uh, platforms, there are there's a lot of discussion about, you know, is is it a net negative impact to the island? Obviously, tourism is a main driver of the economy and that that does matter. (laughs) But uh, I think that rightfully so. There's been a lot of discussion sort of ahead of this race among triathletes about wanting and, and needing to be respectful as respectful as, as we possibly can to the island and, and to everybody who actually lives here and has to deal with a bunch of triathletes uh, arriving. Um, so uh, ha- have you all seen since we've been here, uh, you know, any negative interactions or any animosity at all uh, so far?
4: My Instagram has been lit up with everybody mostly saying, Hey guys, be respectful, you know, respect the locals, be nice to the Island. Um, I have seen a few triathletes that are currently there also say they're already over the other triathletes that are on the Island, which has been pretty funny. Cause I'm like, well, you are also one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think <laughs> people in general, especially triathletes, very type A, very not combative, but very competitive. It's, it's definitely the case that, you know, coming to a race like this, being very type A, loving your routine and structure and, and being already stressed out. I think a lot of people are on edge and probably have a short fuse. And then later on this, I think, you know, the average triathlete is substantially wealthier than, you know, an average person. And, just be, the demographics show that it's just the barriers to entry are a little bit higher here a lot of these athletes have very expensive bikes so even if you are a triathlete with all of these advantages if you see other triathletes just decked out with fifteen thousand dollars super bikes and you know the big glasses so you can't see their eyes you kind of view them in the same way as you view a car and another driver when you are experiencing road rage it's just like you're not sympathetic for their humanity and you just see everybody else potentially as obstacles and you don't feel for them because they're sort of the top 1% when it comes to demographic <laughs> their place in the in the you know average annual income bracket is is up there so maybe there's less uh sympathy for them and I don't think I don't think that helps things when you have a bunch of rich people coming to to an island doing this this race i think that there's maybe less charity granted between each other <laughs> and less love. But, you know, we hear this and, and I wonder to what extent is this just speaking in the abstract? Cause I will say that every encounter, when I think about it on the micro level, it's, it's been positive. Everybody's been happy. And, you know, if you're smiling and you're happy, it's the case that people are just going to be smiling and happy encountering you. As long as you're sending out positive energy, that's good. Um, And I do think that a lot of the complaining is sort of recreational outrage and uh, defending against the idea of encountering negative people, (laughs) if that makes sense. But so far, I've been fortunate. I think that, you know, interacting with the locals and my fellow triathletes so far has been, it has been mostly, mostly positive. But we need to be careful.
0: Have you guys seen anyone walking through the airports in carbon plated shoes? I haven't no carbon plated shoes, but a lot of people commuting
1: on their time trial bikes. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't seen anything egregious, everybody you know, sort of following the rules of the road, but you know, there are triathletes are not the most observant cyclists. Sometimes they, uh, aren't aware of their surroundings as, as well as maybe, you know, a more experienced road cyclist would be. Um, so I, I have seen on the queen K, just like, you know, certain accidentally going through a red light or, or, you know, not maybe passing too close or something on the shoulder. Um, but I, I think that a lot of what, one sort of funny observation was riding on the queen K, you know, when we're riding around Nashville or on the Natchez trace or something, You know, a lot of times if you're on a TT bike, your aerodynamics are better. And if you're a good cyclist, it's easy to pass other cyclists on the queen K. It's a bunch of athletes from all over the world who are good cyclists who are used to just blowing by people. They're not used to getting passed. And it's almost surprising if you're out there, you know, hammering, doing an interval to be passed by, you know, somebody else. Like a lot of these athletes, I don't think they expect to be passed. Um, so it's sort of interesting. I think in a lot of ways, coming to this Island is humbling. Not only are the elements tough, but you're also around athletes who are among the best athletes in the world, or at least the best triathletes in the world. Uh, just everybody looks fast and that can certainly mess with your head a little bit. Um, but you know, it's, like I said, thus far, all my interactions have been really positive and and we went down to the the swim start yesterday evening and they had like a a little kids triathlon and it was a full triathlon and that was fun just to watch the kids who you know aren't they, they aren't they don't have uh they're just on mountain bikes they're not i don't want to say negatively infected by the uh maybe like bike envy or other sort of insecurities that a lot of athletes might have about not having the best equipment or, or they're less concerned about their race than, you know, the adults are. And I think we can take a cue from the kids, just going out there, having fun. Everybody's excited. It was kind of refreshing watching that because a lot of athletes, especially coming to Kona, they sort of get in their own head and they start, instilling too much meaning or value or self-worth into the race. And it's good to just take a step back and be like, okay, I'm one of thousands of athletes here. It's a privilege to be here. I just need to enjoy, enjoy my time here. And I need to just focus on having the best race that I possibly can. You can't be distracted by other athletes here. You can't be distracted by what they're doing. You can't look at Strava obsessively and, you know, question your own training, and this goes with any race, but it's doubly important, you know, on the island, because uh, you start questioning your relationship with the sport, I think, when you're here with the best in the world in tough conditions, knowing that you're probably going to embark on the hardest race of your life. But basically, it's good to frame your obsession with with the race in the context of the island, you're in a beautiful island, you're a visitor here. And it's okay to maybe peel back the your perception of the importance of the race. obviously unless you're a top pro then it's payday and you got to eat so you got to do
0: well so speaking of pros have you guys had any run-ins with anyone yeah uh i've seen lionel a couple times i've seen joe skipper a
1: couple times rode with him a little bit on the on the queen k uh he uh he just passed as i I was riding with uh, a couple other athletes in in a pace line and when he passed he was he's like latch on latch on so I did until I had to turn around. So that was it was fun doing that. Um, uh, saw Sebastian Keenley at various places. So it's a who's who triathlon. Saw mm-hmm. other other age groupers who you know I competed with at Ironman Indiana. You know they've they've showed up. It's good, good seeing everybody.
4: Do you fangirl internally?
1: Uh, not I do not not as much as others. Um, you know, Derek,
2: do you fangirl? I,
3: I 100% fangirl. Good, good. <laughs>
2: I remember the text when you first saw Sebastian at the grocery I know, store. <laughs>
3: yeah. I, I saw Sebastian Keenley at the grocery store and had, um like, not a freak out, but just, like, we both made eye contact with each other, and he could tell that I recognized him, and I didn't say anything and just walked into the grocery store and, like, told my wife, Chelsea, like, that was Sebastian Keenley. Um, but... Uh, I, I traded pulls with uh, with Gustav and Christian on the Queen K for a little bit yesterday. Um, and by traded pulls, I, I really just like followed behind them for a while and and took a video on my phone. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely like everybody's here and um, everyone's creating content of people at the pool. Like you go to the pool and everybody's got a video camera. Um, you go to the swim start. everybody's got, everybody's doing an interview before they get in the water on like their Instagram story and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely who's who of age groupers and professionals. Um, one other thing that I think is, uh, just of note and worth mentioning that I think is really cool is I've been, I've never like done an international Ironman race. Um, but I think that the the distance from the mainland for like this race and just the fact that it's a world championship and like how much it is um maybe closer to some some other places uh, in the world i mean it's just the number of people who speak different languages at this race is incredible i uh i'm very frequently around or like more frequently around people who are not speaking english when i'm at the swim start or um or at the pool or waiting in line at the bike shop. Um, it's yeah, everyone's speaking different languages. I did a, a swim. There were like on Saturday morning, there were hundreds and hundreds of athletes all swimming at the same time. And multiple times I stopped and people were having conversations with each other and in, in other languages. And I just thought, I think it's so cool. Um, and at, at other Ironman races in the States there, you'll always see that, but not to the extent, um, that I feel like I'm experiencing here, which is, um, yeah, it just, um, reminds me that I'm like a part of this like global triathlon community, even more so, which is really cool. A true world championship.
0: So to wrap it up, let's get our picks out for the the women's field and the men's field. Who wants to start? We'll start with the women's field first.
4: My money's on Daniela. I think I want Lucy to get it. I do. But I think she's gonna get second or third. My money's on Danielle.
0: Who do you think will get let's go top 3 overall for both? Uh I don't know. I'll go.
1: I'm guessing Riff, Laura Phillips and then and ha- and Haug. I think Riff is obviously she's back and did well at St. George. There, there's no reason I think she won't win again here. I think Laura Phillips performance at Ironman Hamburg pretty much blew my mind and if she shows up fit i think she'll do well i think obviously hay got second before great runner um no reason i think she won't be up there as well i think lucy lucy can do well i just don't know about lucy it's just the wild card it's just she might be as fit as ever but she had the stress fracture and there's there's no way to know whether she's Ironman fit. She did win the long course triathlon world championships uh what was it 2 months ago. So she she won that obviously. However, the the field was a little bit different. It was a good performance. She's fit, she's fierce um and I could easily just put her in the top 3 or and I wouldn't be surprised if she wins, but you know, for these purposes I'm
5: I'm going with Riff, Phillip Philip. Is that how Lucy Charles qualified? Like with the stress fracture, how did she did she race an Ironman race to get into Kona?
0: I'm sure there. If you get top three, I think you get a pass into the the following World Championships. If I'm not mistaken, so there there's, you know, it's a little bit different qualifying. So I'd imagine there there was a qualifying period. But I guess I'll go with my picks. I'm going to go with Daniela's going to take the win. Anne's going to take second. And then Skye's going to take third. I like Daniela. Oh,
5: I was just going to say, I like Daniela. And part of it is biased because she passed me in Ironman Texas. And so there's that connection of being in a race with her and seeing her actually do it. And I'm like, oh, I can say I race with her. So that's that's, and she's like know five-time champion so it'd be pretty pretty easy to, to pick her going first um don't know about second or third but i know annie haug is going to be up there uh but, but yeah i don't know I, I would like to see lucy like like alex said uh just because you know she's got a pretty big presence on social media and like it's easy to follow her so you kind of want to cheer for the people that you you follow the most so i'd probably say my top three even though i don't know if Lucy's gonna gonna be up there
3: I, uh, I'll go out on a limb and say that I think that Annie Haug is, uh, gonna come back and, and repeat in Kona. Um, I'd like to see her run down Daniela reef. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say is like, number one, I'll, I'll put Laura Phillip in third place. I, I picked the same three as, as Conrad, but just in a different order. Men's field, anyone or Alex, Alex.
2: Oh, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm going to sound like just a, a parrot of some of what we've already said, just because these are like top contenders, but I'm going to, uh, I would, I think like John, like Danielle reef and then Annie hog. And then, um, Lucy Charles, just because I, I'd like to see a win for her coming back from this injury. I know she, she of course did really well at that race. Like you, you all were saying, um, but I think it can just feel, so 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 debilitating and like demoralizing sometimes to have an injury as serious as that and so to be able to maintain a, a podium finish um and to have that victory um i would just like to see it for her um so those for top three women and i'll defer to others for for the the top male picks uh, if we're going that direction next
4: wait real wait quick, so, real so quick. alex
1: oh go ahead
2: do we think lucy's
4: back bottle cage will be in a different position than the pto race
1: yes so for those
4: for those who didn't see that race she couldn't get her back bottle back into her cage and she dropped a few um, and so she ended up putting it down her shirt so i i definitely think it's going to be in a different spot because she's going to need all the liquid she can get
5: putting bottles back there is very difficult When I do it in a race, I always end up cramping like in my side as I'm turning around. It's like already at a deficit like calorie wise and and liquid wise. Since when you're trying to put it back in there, it's like the whole part of my cramps up. So I don't know why they put it back there. I guess it's just easy to to do it, but hard to do it in a race. All right, let's go with the men's
0: picks pretty quickly. I'll go first. I think Gustav is going to take the victory. Christian Blumenfeld going to take second. And I'm going to go with Tim O'Donnell for third.
3: Nice. Throwing in T.O. I hope so. I, uh, I would say um, Christian Blumenfeld is going to win. Uh, I put uh, I put Magnum Lev in second, probably, and then Braden Curry in third. That's what I say. I like it. Uh, just to switch things
1: up, Bloom, Lang, probably Eden.
4: I'm going to go Bloom and then Lionel and then Magnus going that way.
5: I'll do a repeat of the uh, St. George. I'll go Blumenfeld, Lionel, Braden. Nice.
1: Well, we will see. Alex, do you have any? It, just, just throw out three. I don't <laughs> feel right. strongly
2: opinionated. I mean, I think um, uh, Blumenfeld, Eden, Keenlay.
1: There you go. Keenlay. Right. Keenley is my favorite. He's one of my favorite long course athletes. I have a lot of respect for him. Would love to see him podium. And he was looking good. We saw him running when we, we drove to Hilo, the other side of the island for the day. And, and but 20 miles outside of Kona saw him uh, training with some other, other athletes looking good. So we'll see.
0: It's going to be fun to watch this week. For sure. For sure.
4: Good luck, Conrad. Go crush it.
0: Thank you. It'll be a blast. Can't
1: wait to try in a furnace blast. But (laughs) It'll be good. All right, guys. Well, Thanks for hopping on and, and listeners. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to us, uh, feel free to email us at info at working And one of these, maybe not the next podcast, but the one after we will recap Kona and uh, give updates on, on
0: what we saw and uh, how things went down. Absolutely. Thanks guys for jumping on and to the listeners. Thanks for listening. And when you get a chance, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Until next time.
1: Thanks everyone. See ya.